This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. This is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood films. This month we are taking a look back at my fellow Americans to see if our nostalgia is warranted. Now, Mark, you brought this one forward, so you're going to start us off with a 60-second synopsis. Uh, are you ready? I am ready if you have a timer. Hold on <laughs> one minute as I prepare the one-minute timer for your 60-second synopsis. Come on. There we go. I'm I'm we I'm go. it should be really close. I don't know if you'll be able to understand any of the words that I say, but I know I had to cut it down a bunch of times to get it under a minute when I tested it and it worked, but it was like right at the minute. So Great. Three, two, one, go. Just kidding. What? Here we go. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. A political rivalry peaks as two opponents, Douglas and Kramer, swap time as president. Shortly after their terms, a scandal threatens the current president, so his administration decides to point the blame at his predecessors. When the two ex-presidents learn of the conspiracy, they launch their own investigations, but grudgingly decide to work together after a potential whistleblower is killed just before revealing the truth. NSA agent Tanner convinces them to board a helicopter, but they force the pilots to land and narrowly escape an explosion. They head to Kramer's presidential library, where he has documents to prove their innocence. Through a series of misadventures, they encounter many average citizens, inadvertently ingratiating themselves with the American people again. Upon reaching Kramer's library, they learn that the documents there have been altered, so they kidnap the president's chief of staff and intimidate him into telling the truth. They head to Washington with a recording of his confession, but NSA agents are able to trap them in a room. They find a hidden door to an escape tunnel, and after exiting the tunnel, they steal some nearby police horses and ride them to confront President Haney. After convincing Haney to step down, the duo realize the plot was devised by the vice president, so they record his confession and send it to the media to have him removed from power. Having now solved the mystery, they decide to run together for the next election. Pretty good. I blame that on your dog because he distracted me. Yeah. Well, the audience won't hear that because I'll cut it out. Bah. Yes, my dog did bark during there. I think there was some sort of motorcycle outside. I can hear it now, actually. Anyway, there's a lot I want to get to in that synopsis and in the film. Let's get into long form and talk about things we saw as adults that we may have missed as children. Which I think for you is the entire movie? No, I have seen this before. Um, one thing I remembered about this film, uh, verified when I actually watched it, was them making up lyrics to Hail to the Chief. <laughs> yep. Because that is the that is the one thing I've kept in me. Now, every time I hear Hail to the Chief, in the back of my mind, I'm singing... Uh, Jack Lemon's version of it, where it's hail to the chief because he's the chief and he needs hailing. Hail to the chief because he's the chiefy chiefy chief <laughs> or something. Yeah, I kind of do the same thing now, too. But, you know, I, I figured we're here in November and no one has heard anything about recent elections or anything. So oh, I'm sure, nope. I'm sure they it wanted still to still remains undecided, stuff. Mark. Doesn't they, exist. They, 
they needed to hear more political stuff, so I thought this movie would uh-huh. be perfect for this month. Haven't you heard? We don't have a president anymore. We overthrew everything, and we are now, um, our leader is a dog. Oh, oh. sweet. I voted for that dog. <laughs> Wait, can my dog be elected president if he's the king? Uh-oh. How does that work? Yeah. Oh, cool. Is he going to wear an Elvis outfit? No, he's better than that. I <laughs> He'll wear a crown, though. I haven't seen this movie before now. But apparently, I did have a DVD copy of it um, that my parents bought at some point, but it was never opened. And it was... For a good reason. It was five fifty nine at Walmart. So the thing I like most about this film is that it is not crazier than our actual political system. And, like, the things going on in this film aren't incredibly realistic, but we also elected a reality TV star... So, like, I want to put past America to do exactly what this film is describing. <laughs> so, James Garner is just get James Garner, but also Bill Clinton. Yes. Yes. I noticed that as well. He's playing um, President Douglas, who was the, uh, not the guy getting blamed. He was the one that came in the middle. But, yeah, I thought, in my memory, this was Walter Matthau, and I was... Um, Amazed to find out, it wasn't. It was it supposed, was supposed to, be. to be. But Walter Matthau got sick. Yeah, I mean, that was the time period where everything was Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau together. And mm-hmm. so it was supposed to be him. And yeah, he ended up not being able to. So they put James Garner instead. Apparently the fake title for this was like Grumpy Old President. Yeah. I don't remember what James Garner was in except for this and Maverick I think is the only thing I can think of where he was a a primary role wasn't he like the Rockford? lead of Rockford Files Rockford Files <laughs> yes and he was is in that a TV show I haven't seen it yeah also both versions of Maverick he was in yeah um but yeah Rockford Files no Files. I only saw the um what's his face god now I can only think of Bill Clinton right now and Bill Clinton is not in Maverick uh who's the racist Jesus guy <laughs> You know who I'm talking about. Mel Gibson. Thank you, Maverick Gibson. (laughs) Was that not accurate? (laughs) Anywho, we can get to this film. For me, we we can start at the beginning and then get into characters. It's normally what we do. Um, For me, the beginning of this film takes so long because we see each, like, we see the inaugural ration speeches of three different presidents and like for the first two we also see them running for the re-election and losing and so we have to hear their concession speech as well there must be an easier way to establish that these two people are former presidents without having to go through the rigmarole of seeing a five-minute segment for each one at the beginning yeah i think one thing I would point out, though, is that it gives you you get to hear Kramer's speech several times in a row. And later on, everybody else complains about how he needs to get a new speech because they keep hearing the same one. So, I I mean, other I would agree, though, it is slow to begin because I remember the parts that I remember on this are after they learn of the conspiracy going on and they start roaming the country trying to find a way to prove that they're innocent. And there's what like half an hour or more before that part even begins 
it sets it up, I guess, but it's just it does seem to take a while to get to the actual meat of the plot. Yeah, exactly. Like, I get that it's supposed to be the first act where you're supposed to establish what normal is so that you can subvert that later in the film for the second act. But the the first act, I, I it would have been fine to see, like, their day-to-day lives, which we do, but we also need to establish a, like, they have a history, and they were both one-term presidents. I think that could be done in dialogue way better. I don't need to sit through a condensed montage of, what, 11 years of political history? I had to count that. Yeah, 11. <laughs> I also wish it was a little more obvious that um, Dan Aykroyd was the vice president first. Like, yeah. you see him very... Oh. Yeah, see, I don't yeah, know... I watching the film that never I never caught on to that. I didn't catch that at all. That was that was the whole point about Olympia that they get to later is it happened while someone was a president and he was the vice president. Yeah. Because he was the oh. vice president for Jack Lemon. Wow. They mention it very briefly, and you mm-hmm. see him in that first scene in the background okay. of the two speeches. But I wish they explored that more just so the fact that him being like you know it's him but that timeline makes sense and also his relationship with jack lemon because it seems like that was his vice president but also he seems like he kind of hates him mm-hmm. yeah it it seems i didn't catch on to that because their relationship is just like oh we're both republican candidates uh we are the head of the rnc and we got voted in but like like i didn't imagine that say, Reagan hung out with George W. Bush, they just were both Republican presidents. Like, that's the relationship I saw between these two characters. But if it was more, he was the VP, but he had kind of gotten forced into making him the VP by party pressure, but they weren't really friends or anything. And so then him taking that kickback while he was VP and then blaming it on his former president that Mm -hmm. he was VP for but he didn't care because they were kind of forced into that VP presidential relationship. Exploring that little, I think that would have been interesting because then, because you would think if he was a VP at the time, then blaming it on his president, yeah, that's the person it makes sense for, but do you feel a little guilty doing that to your former boss when you have that very symbiotic relationship? It would would also be kind of foreshadowing what happens at the end of the movie because it's another vice president trying to take over the presidency. So, And without that, with... Without revealing too much of that, I would have liked to understand what the scandal was a bit better. Because, like, I understood it that somebody took a massive kickback. They made money from their political office. And in film, that's very shocking. In life, not so much. (laughs) I didn't fully understand the depth of this scandal. Like, they call it Olympia. And... There's a bit of it explained during an interrogation scene later, but, like, I don't really understand how big this conspiracy was. Of, like, why you have to push the blame onto somebody else. He took money. It was illegal. That, that... Is that it? Pretty much. Yeah. It was just because, well, because if it blows over, he's going to lose the presidency because because it was an illegal thing. As opposed to dancing with a panda, which is not illegal. <laughs> right. And they do explore that in this film more than But that than they was after he had Olympia. already finished being the president. He actually kind of gets a little emotional in a weird way. And I'm like, huh. Excuse me? 
Not the dancing panda. What, what emotions were you? Oh, okay. Not, okay. Not yeah, I was confused. When he explains that. why he dances with the panda at the very end. Yeah, that's the part that gets emotional. emotional yes. And Not the dancing with the that. panda. I do want to talk about their, that emotion because that is something I also wish the film explored a bit better. There's a lot of interesting things in this film that they don't really get to. But the point I was making about Olympia is that they keep talking about this in code or they give it a name so like the audience can follow along with what they're talking about. But giving it a secret code word does suggest that like it's something bigger than just somebody took some money and they shouldn't have. Olympia, to me, sounds like it should be treasonous or like they uh, were making a pact with other countries and doing something on a global scale, like some sort of master plot as opposed to, yeah, it took a million dollars from this company. It just, it seems for the level of secrecy and like the level to which they go out of their way to try to murder people, it seems like it should be a bigger plot that they're uncovering. Uh, there is a lot of cover-up murders in this one, too. Well, there's at least one cover-up murder and then several other attempted. <laughs> Poor James Rebhorn. Yeah, I really loved the bad guy character actors that they have in this film. Because you have James Redhorn, you have Bradley Whitford, uh, who is the political, or is he chief of staff? Anyway, uh, our viewers would know him as the bad guy from Billy Madison. Uh, just like, I love these guys in that, like, immediately when you look at them, you know, oh, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> like, there's something so special about that is your career is playing jerks in film. I did not know who the guy playing Tanner was. Apparently he was in... Oh, I didn't either. I don't know if I've seen him in anything else. Apparently he was it... in Twin Peaks, but it's been a while since I've seen Twin Peaks. Who who was he in Twin Peaks? Big Ed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he has just the face of someone who will straight up murder you. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And guess what? He does. I mean, it's kind of fitting that he is like, I mean, he's he's supposed to be the bad guy in this movie just because he's helping cover something up for the president. But I mean, I you could see him as NSA too, just because he's super serious all the time and has to do his job perfectly. But he, I mean, he, yeah, he has the face of just being the bad guy who will kill anyone in his way, which is perfect for that role. I wish there was more Lauren Bacall in there. She's great. The, the, like is that is was she jack Cram Lemon's kramer's wife? wife yes yeah. yeah 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 okay i was like are you asking i, I what did like her as well i was like are you asking what character she plays or are you asking who lauren bacall is because i don't know her by name you don't know who lauren bacall is <laughs> not by name i probably know her by face i don't know a lot of actors oh by name. i i would be oh, the opposite <laughs> oh oh this physically hurts me she was married to humphrey bogart they were Bogart and Bacall. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know a lot about... I don't know a lot about actors behind the scenes. Like, that's not interesting to me. I know a lot of their on-screen work because the body of the work or the body of work of an actor is by far more interesting to me than what they're doing behind camera or in their personal life. She was one of the biggest actresses in the 1940s and but 50s. Yeah, she was Give a big me name. roles. What are the big films that Lauren Bacall was in? Uh, Big Sleep. No. Applause. 
Oh, wait, no, applause was on stage. Um, I think you mean applesauce. Go ahead. Dark Passages. <laughs> she, she did a bunch of stuff with her husband. Sure. Um, How to Millionaire Millionaire with um, Marilyn Monroe. None of these are sounding familiar. Also, my film expertise is the things of 80s and 90s. I don't go into the 1940s So the much. distinction there, then, is does Carl know Marilyn Monroe? Who is this? <laughs> I think she did a voice in Howl's Moving Castle in the English dub. Okay. I think maybe she was the Witch of the Ways. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yes. I uh, anyway. be silently disappointed in you. Who is Marilyn Monroe? <laughs> uh, JFK got her killed. Oh, oh. fun. Except it now, might have was been... she the one who couldn't walk across a street then? Yes. Ah, uh, okay. And she had an itch that lasted seven years, is that right? No, it started at seven years. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. That's the purpose of that phrase. You know, I've not actually seen that one, but I do know. I haven't either, about. but like, that's the classic Marilyn Monroe pose that everyone knows. Nobody's perfect. Sorry, that's no, not her. No, that's no, no, no. That is from a Marilyn that Monroe not, film, but as the, a, that is a line delivered by Jack Lemmon, which brings me to the no, thing I was no, going to say. It's not even delivered by Jack Lemmon. It's delivered to Jack Lemmon. To Jack Lemmon. Sh- but right. she is in that movie. She is in that movie. But the segue I was going to do, let's talk about Jack Lemmon in this film, My Fellow Americans, that we're doing a podcast about. Oh. Now I have to look up so if I was correct. So playing Kramer. Uh, is there, I don't know much about politics, admittedly. Is, is there some sort of penny-pinching president that he's supposed to be aping here? I will leave that to Sarah. Um, you think I, I know I anything know about presidents except for I do know at one point that when tax? they're in the hotel... And he takes out the little mini liquor bottle from the hotel fridge, and after he pours it into a glass, he fills it up with water again to make it look like they didn't drink it, so that he doesn't get charged. And then his wife accuses him of acting like George Bush. But I don't know if that's a direct parallel to everything else he does. Well, I don't know much about politics, admittedly. That, to me, seems less penny-pitching and more just, like, trashy. Because, yes, he doesn't want to pay for the liquor, but he also drinks the liquor. It seems more on brand for this character just to have brought along his own liquor instead of taking it from the hotel because the hotel liquor is so expensive. But if he brought along his own, he would have had to pay for it. Mmm, I see. So he is so cheap that he won't even pay for the liquor he's taking. Because his character in this is that he's so cheap that he won't take free pie when offered to him. He feels the need to pay for anything he takes, and so he doesn't take much things. Like, that's the whole reason he's kept the log of, like, the the meals that they go and find, is that he wanted to keep track and stay on budget. He's cheap, but he's not abusing the system. Except when it comes to tiny liquor bottles. <laughs> yeah, but, but those are... An abuse of the system to start with anyway, so then you don't feel guilty about abusing the system. Interesting. Yeah, this guy is shifting morals onto what he will and will not take. Everyone knows that the mini bar is a is a scam, so I don't feel of bad about it. Of course it's a scam. That's why you don't go into it. But the nice man with the pie was not a scam, so you can't just take the pie. You can if he offers it. But he wasn't. He didn't need to take the pie because the nice man was offering the pie because he thought he was poor and didn't have money. But he was not poor. He's president of the United States. But he didn't have money is the point. (laughs) But he only didn't have money because the helicopter exploded. He has money in real life. (laughs) In real life, yes. Jack Levin does have money. No, he doesn't because he's dead. (laughs) All right. He did at the time. 
but, the okay, point is, so, mini bars so, are a scam. So I don't know if we're are we are we focusing more on the plot or the characters now? It doesn't matter. I what do you want to I don't remember. Well, we had talked about the the hotel uh the hotel where he was taking the liquor and I think it was it at the same hotel where the other president slipped away from his security people and uh, he, we we see him maybe. with his editor of his next book is in bed with him or something. Mhm. Yeah, so these are the two archetypes that these former presidents are playing. One is a penny pinching a uh, very cheap guy, and that's Jack Lemon. The other is a Bill Clinton clone, constant adulterer, getting in bed with everybody, and that's uh, President Douglas, played by James Gardner. Which is, this is just what James Gardner does in a lot of roles, is he's the womanizer. He just seems so, like, smooth and totally... He seems to have the, like, the 1970s attitude on sleeping around. Um, And, and the penny picture isn't even just being... Dutch or stingy or stuff. It's do taking any appearance or anything that will they'll pay him for. Because yeah, when we first see it him, wasn't just about him being cheap. It was about him trying to make money too because he did the panda thing. The panda. <laughs> yes, he is constantly selling out, trying to make a buck. Which we can get to the sad scene at the very end a little bit later as to why he's doing that. But yes, that is a part of his character. It's, as well. it's like the when they are trying to find his library to find these logs that keep track of everything, uh, and he te- he tells what's his face Douglas where the library is, and he says, "Well, why is it there? You didn't weren't you born in Cleveland?" He says, "Yeah, but they wouldn't give me a good break on the taxes, so I had to move it." <sighs> So, and then he, then when they get to the library, there's a whole gift shop full of random junk with his face on it. God, yeah. I <laughs> I disliked Jack Levin's character a lot. And then when they got to the his personal gift shop, it was just like, it skyrocketed how much I dislike <laughs> this character. I don't know. I found him funny. I'm just like, it was It was funny, but also like, to the extent that he's a megalomaniac, that he has... Something dedicated to himself, a room of kitsch just about him that anybody could walk in and buy a bobblehead and a a doll that you can pull a string on. I think he's exaggerated, but I think half of the stuff in the room where it's like, maybe not the doll, but like all of those cookbooks and camaraderie stuff. If you go to any presidential library, 100% there's probably that gift shop just without the doll. Well, that was the other thing. He has also written a whole bunch of books after his, and I think Douglas, whatever his book is that he's working on is the first one that he's done. Though in his defense, uh, Kramer was his predecessor. So Kramer has had... Uh, seven years out of office, and Douglas has only had three. So, like, yeah, he he's had a little bit less time. But, yes, he's working on a book, and uh, the thing his editor says in bed with him is that his book is bad because he's lamenting about the things he didn't accomplish while in office as opposed to talking about what he did accomplish, which was nothing. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting to look at it within the context of where we are now because when did this movie come out 90 96 when clinton was president yeah Yeah. so but if we look at now and that concept of presidents coming out with so many books and things like that that's just par for the course now the amount of books that like bush and obama and even trump and even vice presidents and stuff like that for them to have multiple books that's just the norm that's what they do with their time now 
Clinton has a million. Like, I think the thing is that's a the dichotomy, dichotomy that they're annoying is that he's taking advantage of it and doing it himself with the gift shop instead of like, normally it's the like commemorative scalpers making the presidential doll or the presidential like um, Chia pet or the memorial. It's, it's the fact that he's like, well, everyone else is making money off my face. I'm going to make money off of my own face, which, you know what, frankly, do you make your money. Don't. Have, like, I don't the know hallmark. to the extent where we see him I introducing a Japanese auto award based on his former relationship with America. That to me is like it's a step too far because it's not about him selling a product that he has. It's about a company paying him to show up as a celebrity to introduce an award show that is meaningless and dance with a panda. I'm betting that politicians, like out of office politicians, do that a lot more than we know about. I've never seen Obama dance with a panda. <laughs> but I'm, I bet Clinton did that a lot more than we think. That with just a panda. Seems like no, yep. he would have played a saxophone with a panda. Come on. Was he actually that good at saxophone or were we just all convinced he was good at saxophone? I think he was decent at saxophone and you don't see many presidents playing a musical instrument and so like compared to other presidents he was amazing at saxophone because no one else played the saxophone i'm going back to you know what taft i think taft is a president deserved more respect he he got stuck in he a did not get stuck in the bathtub <laughs> he had a, he had a specialty bathtub that was larger but he did not get stuck in it and two after he was the president of the united states he was the head supreme like Head of the Supreme um, Court. After he was president. He's the only person oh, to boy. be both. I can't get past that fake bathtub thing, though. That's all I remember about it. It is slander. Him. It is slander against Taft, and Taft deserves <laughs> better. I don't disagree. I, as I said, I know nothing about politics. I only remember the slander about presidents because that's what all Americans remember. Did you know there is a there's three instances where presidents ran unopposed? And only two were George Washington, and one, they just, the other party just couldn't come up with someone, and so <laughs> he just ran by himself. I think it was maybe Monroe. I did not know that. And also, there was, like, a very large amount of time where the U.S. didn't have a vice president, because it wasn't until, like, the 70s that they finally fixed things to say, if the president dies and the vice president takes over for president, you refill the vice president's spot. So before, <laughs> if the vice president became president... You just didn't have a vice president? And, like, so for, like, when um, Harrison died, like, two weeks into his presidential election, that entire term, there was no vice president. There just was no one. <laughs> well, it's, I've heard, like, before Dick Cheney, the vice president didn't, like, do a whole lot. It's a shit job. Lyndon B. Johnson had to have done a bunch because he was a crazy person who liked to show his uh, private parts to people as a show of power. Oh, I was gonna guess penis as a joke and try to no, interrupt no. you. <laughs> that's the truth. He liked to like do like meetings in the bathroom and just like pee in front of people and be like, look at my junk. Look at how I, I empower over you because I'm making you look at my junk. Lyndon B. Johnson was a madman. Well, Sarah, it is the first penis. And we or or you could call it Blinky. Which brings us back to this film. Now <laughs> Back to fake presidents. We can not talk real about uh, their journey through America, as Mark called it, the the heart or meat of the film. The the heart meat of the film, if you will. <laughs> mm. <laughs> 
But before we get to it, I do want to talk about another character actor that I've not seen in any other work except for a diabetes commercial. Because yes. Wilson Brimley is in this film. Have yep, you never I seen think... Cocoon? No. Nope. Like, literally, the only thing I know about Wilford Brimley is that he can't pronounce the word diabetes. <laughs> a lot of people pronounce it that way. I think it's a southern thing. I think I pronounce it that way because of those commercials. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, like, right? that's the majority. I would bet most of our listeners and most of America, that's the only thing they know Will about Wilford Brimley. I think it's a southern thing. I can't believe you guys have never seen Cocoon. Oh, I may have once, but it's been a long time. It just, it amazed me to see him in, like, an actual film, playing yeah. an actual role, and torturing somebody with a sewing needle. It's very strange. It, well, and the thing, he, what, he he is the head of the Democratic Committee or something? So yeah. having him be the person to torture someone is also kind of strange. It's not like he was some security agent or, I don't know, maybe he was supposed to be former military or something? I mean, he's not actually torturing him. They're making right, right. this up. Right, right, it's all a ruse. Right, 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 right. But Or a big, it's a big facade, Carl. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Though... That does bring us to why why they end up teaming up, is that the scandal gets pushed on Kramer, Jack Lemon, and Brimley wants Douglas, James Gardner, to look into it um, because of reasons. I can't remember why the Democrats want to get involved. Because, because they're friends with Charlie. Because if they can get Haney in trouble and Kramer in trouble, then the Democrats can be back in power and maybe Douglas can be president again. Right, right, right. That's right. So they don't want to push it onto Kramer because Kramer's out of office. They want to pin it on Haney to get him out of office. Well, and they just want to make the Republicans look bad in general. But also the other person involved is Charlie, and Charlie is one of their friends. Right. Okay. But he was going to be involved regardless, right? Yes. Because he but was doing... They, but they want to figure out what's going on and why Charlie. And Charlie's death is what... They're both present for for whatever reason, and that kind of sets them off. And like, I don't. He was at. He was was he at a book signing? Well, he was was at a book signing thing and ran away from it to meet this guy. So I don't understand what that place is because it seems to be a book signing convention solely (laughs) for former presidents. I assume it's a book convention themed for either biography, political... Or cookbooks. Um, But but I assume it's for, like... a problem with my cookbook? The the theme of the book convention is, like, famous people putting out books. Yes. I also want to point out the name of the cookbook is very good because it's hailed to the chef. But the reason why they both get to the car is because they both visited him in his office and that freaks him out. And so he sends, at least sends the message to James Garner to meet him in the car. I don't remember if Jack Lemon also gets a note or if he just followed him out. So I think the secretary does talk to Jack Lemon because she also reaches out to Jack Lemon later in the film by sending something to his presidential library. So he goes to meet them at the thing, because I think it's somewhere he can find them both in an open place after he gets freaked out from the meetings at his office. But that also super doesn't help because this is the scene where he dies. Well, well because like at his office, choosing the, that, it could be... choosing that meeting point doesn't prevent his death. 
Right, but his office would be bugged, and then they would know, and apparently maybe they were just following him anyway. I don't think anything could have prevented his death at that point, because Tanner's a madman. Now, do we know that it was Tanner that shot him, or was it just someone doing his bidding? Because they, I guess you don't really see it. Somebody yeah, just yeah, pulls yeah. up with it's and points a gun out the window. The understanding here is that Tanner is in, in charge of this hit squad, and so it's either him or one of his men doing this. And it's, honestly, it's fairly well done, because, like, this unmarked car pulls up against this car that, what's his name is in, shoots him and drives off. And, like, the two presidents see this and run off to go talk about it, and then, like, a flower truck pulls up to, like, just push the body over. <laughs> <laughs> so that people don't see a dead body in a driver's seat. Like, I thought they were going to take the body and hide the body. No, it's just, I think we're they, just going to push I, it over. I think he pushed the body over because he was getting in to drive the car away. Ah, that does make more sense. <laughs> that we do not see that. Yes, to because, me, it was just like, I don't want anyone to see this body. I'll just nudge it over a bit. Yeah, I think Mark's take, because they say later that he's missing and no one's seen him. And so that means no one's found the car, so they must have moved the car. This, this is when they finally, like, decide to work together to figure out what's going on. They end up at Kramer's house, I guess, because that was where His they thought they would be house. safe. His daughter's house. His daughter's house. Though that doesn't help, because the Secret Service in this are bugging these presidents constantly. It's not the Secret Service that's the problem. It's the NSA, NSA which the is... The NSA. Which is a joke before its time... Which I thought was really funny because it's like, we know, we always know where you are. We're the NSA. It's our job. And I'm like, wow, that is a meme like 15 years before it was a meme. Like the extent to which the NSA just has information of their whereabouts constantly is amazing in this film. It suggests that like the NSA, a, I want to say thousand person organization is just tracking these two and that's it. That's what it's for. Because later in the film, like, they use change to make a call on a payphone, and the NSA is able to listen into that one call. Yeah, I don't know. That one I don't know about unless they have, like, voice recognition stuff that they were listening to every phone in the country somehow, but... Yeah, the other one is they, uh, they board a train by pretending to be celebrity impersonators of themselves. <laughs> And the NSA is able to catch up to them at the next station. That Elvis impersonator, though, had a pretty well, good Elvis voice. Now, the thing about that, though, I don't know how far away this train station was, but that was right after they escaped from the helicopter crash, which the NSA had planned, and they had already been out there searching the wreckage and didn't find the bodies. So I can kind of see that, well, now we've got to cover all these transportation options because they're going to need a way to get away from here instead of just wandering in the wilderness. So it's possible they just happen to be checking up on train stations and... Hmm. But... While we're on the subject of that crash, I may... I was going to reveal this later, but we can reveal to our audience who haven't seen this film. This is the whole thing of the cover-up or whatever to... Blah, blah, blah. It's like the VP masterminding things, right? So, like, he wants to get Haney out of office because he's the current president, so the VP can take over. How does killing these two guys help him do that if they were just going to blame the former president? Like, if the helicopter explosion works, how does the VP become president? 
Well, then the whole Olympia thing goes back to Haney, right? Well, no, because they were going to blow up the presidents because they didn't want them uncovering the truth about Olympia. And it would have been pushed on to Jack Lemon, who wouldn't be able to defend himself because he's dead. This is 4D chess. Oh, it's 4D chess. So, again, I would say maybe the original plan was was to point it at Haney and get him in trouble because the guy went to the president and he was the one who decided to try to pin it on somebody else. So it wasn't the, it may not have been VP's plan to pin it on someone else in the first place. Be because okay. the first thing that came up was just someone's talking about, what was it? Olympia? Olympia. Yes. Yeah. The capital of Washington state. Um, Cause that's just the first thing that came up. So I'd assume the VP brought is the one who brought that back up. And then it was Haney who says we need to pin it on someone. Gotcha. Okay. You know, now that you mentioned that it would have made a lot more sense if this meeting had taken place in Olympia and that's why that's the code word for it. Though, uh, there's also, like, Mount Olympus. Like, Olympia, I think, is also code name for the White House, maybe? Because yeah, that's, like, where the head of yeah. state is at. Yeah, because uh, isn't the one movie Olympia has, has fallen? fallen? Olympus has fallen. Uh, whatever. I didn't watch those movies. But but also maybe at the point where it's spiraling out of control, he feels like now we have to get now that they're asking questions, we have to get also just at this point get rid of those guys so they stop asking questions and also just get rid of them because they're annoying. Yeah, I just took it as like this is plot device. The VP's plan doesn't really make sense if you think about it, but. Oh, because of the way the, the choices that these characters made, it all worked out in his favor. It doesn't matter. This plan is dumb. Because after the helicopter explodes, their plan is to walk to Ohio. Technically, that's James Garner's plan. Jack Lemmon's like, this is stupid. And he's like, well, there's Jack nothing Lemon's else we can plan? do. Oh, no, I guess not. No. It was his plan to go to the library. Well, it was his plan to get back on the helicopter which they decided on before the helicopter exploded. And and James Garner's like, it's a nice night to walk to Ohio. Right, right. So we should talk about that because the whole implication about Kramer, Jack Lemon, being a part of Olympia is that on like the White House records of who the president is meeting on any given day shows that on a specific date, it was Kramer and this informant guy uh, who's revealing the scandal in the office alone and the records show they were talking about Olympia on that given day, to which Jack Lemon is going to disprove by going to his presidential library where he apparently kept a record of every meal that ever came out of the kitchen, which would have included the lunches delivered for that meeting on that given day. So I have several problems with this. That Number those, one. Those omelets were $7? Oh yeah, that's insane. Eggs are cheap, it shouldn't cost $7. Anyway, my problem is, these records aren't like official documents. Like the, the ones for lunches, he was keeping a budget and he wanted the kitchen to keep track of it. But like, that's not really admissible in court. Like, these aren't official documents, whereas the ones describing who the president was meeting are much more official and would hold up better in court than these on other records that disagree with it. The other thing I have a problem with is when they get to the library, they find out that in addition to the presidential records for the meetings being faked, these ones for the food history were also altered and faked, which 
No political aid is going to drive to Ohio to fix these records because they don't matter. Also, did now I'm going back to the how was it a seven dollar omelet? Are they including overhead <laughs> into that? Is that why that's seven dollars? Because that's Sarah, there is probably bacon in the omelet. That always there also might have been avocado. That's gonna bring up the price. But even with that, if we're just counting the cost of ingredients, it should not be seven dollars. The only way it should be seven dollars. We're not counting the cost of ingredients. We're counting the cost of the salary for the cook divided against all the meals they're serving. That's I what think, I mean I don't by think overhead. Kramer would have spent seven dollars on an omelet anyway. I don't think that in this just this record of how much the meal costs, we should be including overhead. I think that should be a different tally. Because I'm sure this cook is salaried, Sarah, not by I hour. don't know what to tell you. This guy's a petty pincher. If he's going to spend money on the government dime, he's going to spend whatever he needs for the meal and then charge America with taxes. Anyway, the other point is, if they forge that paper, did they send just a government agent, or did they have to send someone who can well, forge? Well, that's what's we like so when, when they're sneaking through for some reason sneaking through his own library, they couldn't just walk in; they had to sneak in. Also, it seems like they arrive at like eleven o'clock at night, and the library is just open. Well, it wasn't because it was dark, right? And then the security guard found them, but they thought it was one of those people coming after them, so they knocked him out. They it was dark in the back room where they got the book. It was still light enough for the gift shop though. But did they turn on the light? I'm sure he knows where the light switch is in his life. You know, the other thing I noted is like, they don't have to sneak in. They literally walk through the front door, which is open. I bet he Maybe has his Maybe it own was key. winter and it just got dark early. Maybe. <laughs> Sarah, you're guessing Kramer has a key to his own library that he brought with him on the helicopter. Well, the question is, did he still have his keys in the pocket of his jacket? He had a water gun. I don't know if the key to your presidential library is something you keep on a keychain with, like, say, your house key. Maybe he just really likes his presidential library. I was going to say car keys, but it establishes clearly that these people don't drive. Anywho, <laughs> the, we're, we can get to the interval points of the journey, because that is the more interesting part of this. The problem I have, the last problem I have with these records being altered, is it makes their entire journey across America pointless. Because it doesn't prove anything. Like, that is the point of the majority of this film, is that these two former presidents are making their way secretly across America to find the one document that is going to exonerate Kramer from this crime. And then they get there and it doesn't. And then, lo and behold, the secretary mailed something to the library and it happens to be there waiting for them. Like, that to me is just bad screenwriting. It's very convenient. I, I don't know why they had to insert a deus ex machina if you can just make the, um, oh, what's the Alfred Hitchcock term? The MacGuffin they're going for just work out for them. Deus Ex post office. Sure. Deus Ex secretary. Also, she 100% should be dead by now. Oh, for sure. Like, if they killed the informant, they should kill everyone attached to the informant. Like, the fact that she survived long enough to send that letter is insane. So, let's talk about their pointless journey across America. Do you guys have any comments on the, uh, the celebrity train that they get on? I don't understand it. Oh, as to why a, a train that has posters for the NCAA tournament also has so many celebrity impersonators on it. Um, I do like that when 
they love Elvis, but when the presidential imp impersonators <laughs> come on, they throw something at them. The interesting part about this scene, even though it doesn't make sense, is they're getting honest feedback about what people think about them because these people don't think they're the actual president. I just don't think if I met an impersonator of someone, I'd be like, yeah, that person, your, your job is to portray. I hate that guy. <laughs> like, this is still somebody at work. You can at least be polite. But, like, why should they care? They're in person. They don't necessarily like or dislike or have any opinions on that personator or their the, the person they're impersonating. They're just doing it necessarily. A lot of people who do that just is because they've been told they look like that person and that's a way for them to make money. I don't think they care about your opinion on that person. In this existence, it happens that they do because they are that person. But I'm sure that Elvis guy is like, don't really care. I just want my tips. Like, man. Oh, yeah. And like, everybody else on this train doesn't really look like who they're impersonating. The likeness is made up for by wigs and costumes. Whereas, like, these guys are dead ringers to the presidents because they're the actual presidents. But, like, I get there are some, like, impersonators who get really into it and, like, a little obsessed with the person's life. But even then, I'm like, if I saw an impersonator, I'm like, oh, it's just funny because they look like it. And isn't it fun? Take a picture. I'm not going to be like, hey, that person you impersonated is a jerk and they can't sing and I don't even know why you'd bother. I'd just be like, oh, isn't it kind of fun that they kind of look like that and they're doing a performance? Whatever. Have a good time. Like, I don't think, I don't understand why you'd care that much. Like, it's not like it's gonna get back to the president because this guy who looks like the president is gonna tell them. Yeah, you must have lunch with the president all the time because you look like them. Also, just in eating the weird train peanuts was gross. Oh. They were yeah. gross-looking peanuts. Do trains give peanuts? <laughs> like, I've only taken one train. I feel like this was a special case because it was a party train. I have never been on a party train. That's I don't fair. know if they have gross peanuts, but I would not... I guess if you've been almost blown up, you'll eat anything, including gross train peanuts, but they were... There must have been snacks in the helicopter. But I guess the stress of being blown up and trying to, like, wander through wherever they were at the time, you eat the gross train peanuts. But I did not like the gross train peanuts. Yeah, it's weird to me because for the people that they meet along this journey, most of them is, like, a caricature of an actual political issue. Whereas, because, I mean, it, we can get to each one of those a little later on, but, like, a train full of NCA, NCAA fans... Not a political issue at all. Just, Where it's like they meet just, illegal immigrants oh, and they walk in a pride that parade. Scene. I hated the illegal immigrants <laughs> in the ditch scene just because it was so like. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? You're you're at a you're in a truck with Mexicans coming up for the border. Well, also, mm -hmm. it get starts it? out. Where it's like Large Marge from Pee Wee Herman, and then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm a sad Mexican in, in like a storm drain. Take my compass watch because you gave me a coat, James Garner. And suddenly he looks like a good guy, even though he's been like cheating on his wife for years, but he gave me a coat. So he's a saint now. What is happening? What? How did we get here? I don't and know. How does it the, the other part about this is that the, it's a helicopter shows up and just points a light at the truck. And it, it doesn't even attempt to land. It just hovers there and watches everybody run away. But then the second helicopter shows just up. 
chasing the presidents, and for some reason they shoot a rocket at the Department of Immigration to get them to go away. The reason is the Department of Immigration says over the radio, which we hear because it's a film, you're interfering with our investigation. This is our airspace. What authority do you have? And then this NSA plane helicopter shoots a missile and then the immigration people are like, oh, that authority. Goodbye. (laughs) They don't address where that missile goes. That is true. It doesn't hit the other, other helicopter. It just flies off and presumably explodes into a town somewhere yeah, down the hits, road. It hits the McDonald's down the street. <laughs> but if you're trying to sneakily find two former presidents of the United States and kill them, wouldn't you want to be a little sneakier than that? You, I bet you could come up with some sort of thing to, if you're that high in the government... I'm sure you could come up with something to tell the other helicopter to say, hey, we have clearance to be here. We're higher up in the government than you. And they'd be like, sure, fine. But that didn't involve attempting to blow them up. But yeah, this is another instance of the NSA being able to track them down at any point in time. They had to sell a watch or trade it, barter it to get on this truck to with large this truck March. driver. <laughs> with large March, Sure. And I get that she's bringing in people from south of the border into the country. So sure, they may have been pulled over by immigration services. There might have been a helicopter. I don't get how the Secret Service or NSA is able to find them immediately after the first helicopter. But also, like going back to the watch thing. They give their watch to Large Marge, and it's this whole thing. But then we Shamu do the Shamu the plot- killer hick. Shamu the killer hick. <laughs> who's, who's, what's her name from Two and a Half and Men a half who men. just died recently? She's great. I like her. But, like, it's this whole watch thing. But then they do the giving of a watch thing in the storm drain. And I'm like, why are we having, like, a bad watch trade-off, and now we're having a good watch trade-off? <laughs> I don't feel emotional about this. I just feel like it's this weird mirroring. In a bad way. And it's also, what's his name in the storm drain? Um, oh, what is that actor's name from? Pena? Who's yeah. that actor from that thing? It's Michael, Michael, Michael Pena. Pena. It's Michael Pena with like crazy hair in a storm drain. But I'm just like, I don't, I don't feel like emotionally moved that I've learned something about this president and his issues and what he feels. I just feel like he gave someone a coat. And it, and it also felt like there was this weird immigrant angel who was just like the voice from nowhere that was like, come, come this way. I'm glowing in a storm drip. Also, like, this, it, it has a point of view that nobody has in America in that this a uh, Mexican guy who came to America through this truck is now just in America illegally, and that's good. Nobody has that opinion. Nobody wants people to come to our country illegally. The people who do support immigration want people to come through normal means, become U.S. citizens. Nobody supports people coming in illegally and living here without paying taxes. Like, the people who want foreigners to come into our country want them to come as citizens and work here and make our country better and pay taxes and like it this film takes a really weird stance on immigration also his line where he's like oh you'll just get caught and go back and then come back in three months and i'm like i don't know if you're trying to be 
pro-immigrants or anti-immigrants. Right. And the voice Michael Pena uses for that character is very weird. Like, all of it is like, I don't know if this is supposed to be a joke about this or serious or the whole thing is disturbing. Right. It's such, like, every political issue that this film tries to get into is played for, like, laughs and not taken seriously and they take a weird stance on everything i think in part that like one of these characters is a republican one is a democrat and this film doesn't want to offend either side and so they just end up in this weird middle ground where they're not really saying anything about these issues and and like that's fine like when you want to do this buddy comedy with a republican democrat but i think maybe they should have run into less less of those issues if they weren't wanting to take a stance like having the two political parties and having the fight and have to go on this political thriller fine but then running into this thing where like michael pina's character is kind of taken as a joke but yet at the same time it was supposed to be this moment for james garner to have his like nice guy moment is very almost unsettling because i'm like i don't know what the emotion of this scene is supposed to be. But also Michael Pena has this very high voice and he's like, come, come over here, you'll be safe. And I'm like, is it an angel? Is he dead? Is he an angel? Are they all dead? No, it's just a magical Mexican. And and even in the, like, when they get to the, the gay pride parade, I'm like, I feel like this is all taken as a joke, but it's also supposed to be a thing about, oh, look, we're, we're, we're faking them into being progressive and I don't know what the message is. I don't even know what the joke is. There, there isn't a message. To, to explain it to our audience, one of the ways that they escape the NSA is they ditch a car or they get caught in some way and they try to escape by car. The car crashes. And so they run out trying to escape on foot and they happen into a parade already in progress and they decide, well, we'll just join the parade because they can't shoot us with all these people around. And it happens to be a gay pride parade. And it is so much played off for laughs in that uh, Douglas is having a conversation with one of the men marching in the parade who's dressed as Dorothy, who I understand to be a gay icon, but I don't really understand why. It's because of Judy Garland. And is, is it also because of the rainbow thing? I don't know. Partly, but it's also Judy, Ar Judy Garland was a very big supporter, things like that. It it's a bunch of things. So Douglas, Douglas talking to this guy is playing it off for last by saying that Kramer is coming out of the closet and that's why they're there to support him in this change. And like, that's a joke that would have worked kind of in the 90s in as much as people would laugh at it. But like, it's a really bad joke to say someone is a certain sexuality that they're not and make fun of them for that. It, it almost in some ways, it, it feels weird to say it doesn't take the joke far enough in the fact that they make these misunderstandings, but they never quite get caught and get embarrassed and then come to a resolution. They kind of just, ah, oh, we made a joke and it kind of just trails off and then we're on to the next thing. Like it's never, oh, we realize we've made my mistake and we're laughed and we're the ones that had the problem and made the mistake, not the the people in the parade. We're the ones who got were misunderstanding and made the mistake. It's kind of just like a eh, joke, but no one gets had their opinion fixed. It, the other thing that bothers me, the guy that they talked to marching in this parade, 
who was in a uh, marching band of Dorothy's, also turns out to be a sniper at the White House. Which and it comes I up later. had to watch that scene like three times because I had... Well... You had to watch the scene? They explain it explicitly later <laughs> on. I, I was not watching very close at that point. I'm like, I don't understand what's happening. Okay, but like, it's also when he reveals to them that they have met before and he saved their lives because they had met at the Pride Parade, which means that based on something they were holding, he knew for a fact these are the real presidents, we shouldn't shoot them. I, I will I... explain why I rewatched the part on the horse three times before ah. they explained it because I'm like, I don't understand what the stupid thing they're trying to zoom in on and why they're doing this scene. It was something that he gave to them during yes. the it's parade. It's a Pride bracelet. But... I I I don't if I think I know where Carl is going, but I could be yeah. wrong. But I had the same thought. What I'm like, just because you see these guys who could look like the presidents and have this bracelet that you happen to meet in this parade, how does that mean that they are the real presidents? Oh, that's not the problem I had. That I mean, that is very much a Deus Ex gay sniper, but <laughs> it's it that didn't bother me. The problem I had was when they meet later on and they explicitly say oh this is the sniper who didn't fire on you and he saved your life he doesn't just come out and say we met at the pride parade in blah 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 he still has to hide his identity by saying we met somewhere over the rainbow wink wink it's just like this guy that they met who was marching in a parade celebrating his sexuality is still hiding it when they meet him later on. That is the problem I have. I thought you were going to have a problem with his line de delivery at the sniper part because his goes, those are the presidents, was so terrible. Oh, it's no worse than the line reading where they meet this guy in a urinal who looks <laughs> over at one side and sees a president and then leads to his other side to tell the guy next to him, hey, that's the president, and discovers it's another president. When he tries to leave, he's like, nice to meet you. That whole scene. Is, that is the worst line reading of the whole That thing. whole scene was unnecessary except to start that running joke about the nickname. That was the only point of that scene. Oh, it wasn't to meet Elvis and get on the train? But you didn't need <laughs> the, the first guy to be there to meet Elvis. You could have cut that first three minutes. The, the basically just making urinal jokes and just had them go into his bathroom and Elvis come out and be like, oh, you guys are, are impersonators. We didn't need the whole staring back and forth uncomfortably at the first penis and the other first penis. <sighs> Boy, there's too many first penises in this film. Uh, um, the other political issue, which I think they actually did a fairly good job with, in that I actually felt something during that scene is when they meet a family on the road and end up being invited into the car so the family can drive them to the um, uh, to the library. Technically, he went in and while Kramer was talking to them, Douglas hopped in the car and drove off with it. And I mean, Kr technically, jumps they in. kidnap a child. Yes, and then, then they as they're driving child. away, they realize there's still a baby in a car seat in the back, which 
I don't know why the baby is strapped into a car seat when the parents are away making breakfast, but... Yeah, I mean, the whole family is eating at a picnic table, except for the baby, who's maybe sleeping in his car seat. I recognize this lady, but I don't remember why I recognized her. Oh, I recognize the dad, I don't know why. Anyway, the thing that they get to, which I thought was actually fairly well handled, is, like, this family invites them to come with them be in their car, to sleep in their camper, and the presidents start complaining about the general public that they've led in their respective terms, in that the dad might have said something if the presidents don't hear the voice of the people, and the presidents complain, while there is no one voice of the people, it's all separate voices of people screaming that they want lower taxes, but they want their taxes used on everything different. And the mom lets them know that because of their respective terms, this family has lost their jobs, this family has lost their house, this car is their home. And they invited these people into their home, and these former leaders aren't respecting the people of the country that they led. And so they are asked politely to leave, because they've offended these people who are trying to be nice to them. Like, that to me is a very touching moment in this film. A moment of actual humanity that these two presidents didn't realize the effect on middle America that their terms had. And while it is just one family, the implication is that this has happened to lots of families around the country, because when you make drastic budget cuts, people lose their jobs. And then uh, with Douglas's term, he didn't do anything, and so he ended up not fixing the problems that were there because he was playing political games. I think, what I don't remember what, the, what, what she called it. One of them was an economic downturn, is, I think she was trying to quote whatever language they used about it. I don't remember what Kramer's thing was, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. But to me, this was a, a moment of actual feeling in this film that wasn't played off for laughs, where... These two people don't understand the needs of the people that they previously led. And because they were in D.C. doing elevated status presidential things, they don't understand what it's like for a normal American living in their country. I don't know where we want to go from here, but as far as like actual touching moments in this film... The other one I think Sarah had brought up and I agreed with was when they talk about... When they get to Dan Aykroyd in President with their recording and Jack Lemmon talks about why he kept he keeps selling things, why he keeps writing books, why he keeps going to these award shows and doing his speech and whatnot. And go ahead. Well, the the the, the other time I was thinking of was one of the points they're wandering in the wilderness and he just starts talking about. Um, how many people voted against him and how many people don't like him or don't agree with him or whatever. And so that was kind of the thing where they actually, like, they've been working together because they have to to try to solve this thing, but that was one of the first points that they start actually bonding and realizing that they have something in common. They, they both realize that the other person is a little depressed after getting voted out of the office. Yeah, it's... It's something I never really considered about presidential campaigns, in that if you lose, it means that millions of people have decided they don't want you. 
I would get depressed about that as well. Well, and the one Doug, uh, Douglas Douglas said he didn't even get out of bed for a week after he got voted out. But yeah, I think the other point you were getting to was when after being president, suddenly he's a nobody because he got voted out and he didn't know what to do with himself. So he's, yeah, he's making money off of some of these other things that he's doing, but it's just because he still wants to be in the public eye and feel like he is a somebody. Yeah, and that's another thing that is really interesting in this dumb film, that as a former president, after your, well, for each one of them, after their four years in office, they step down and they are no longer the most powerful man in the world. And they still have to keep going on. Whereas, like, former presidents don't tend to be a part of the political game in as much as, like, they've reached the highest point of their career. Everything after this is going to be downhill and they're going to get older and they're going to get more and more out of touch. That's kind of where, for me, I mean, this is political. It's about politicians in specifically, but you could also the same way about grandparents or anyone kind of elderly once they've retired and kind of getting on with their life. Well, now what, what do they do to make themselves feel important? and needed by society. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that was the whole point of it, but, and right. the, you know, in the back of it's, my mind, that thought is there mm, as well. And it is a universal thing for every person who is past their prime or retired from their careers. But, like, for, especially for a president, where you were the most important person for four years, and now you're just a regular citizen... Like, the level to which they feel not wanted and useless now is elevated because of their former status. And, like, that's a... That is where I actually felt something in this film. In, like, yeah, that's awful. It sucks, and what do you do? There's not a real answer to that question, but they both have different approaches to it, whereas one is trying to sell as much as things as possible with his face on it so that people don't forget about him and the other is lamenting about not doing enough when he had the power uh, sorry you said doing enough and i'm like he did a lot of things well are you calling women things <laughs> oh sarah you would be the one to come up with that out of the three of us for some reason uh -huh. sorry bow, 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 bow. um so but yeah, that was what, when they're confronting the president in his office with all this, the, the confession from his chief that he was the one that started all of this. Which we're jumping uh, around in the plot. We, uh, the only thing we kind of missed was this. They break into the chief of staff's house when he's in bed with his wife. Uh, and the naked, semi-naked woman running out of the room is also played off for laughs, even though, like, this is horrible. Don't do that to person. I don't care who they are. Let the let the woman have her pride. Take the man out and let her stay in bed. Yeah, it's weird. 
Anyway, so they take the the naked chief of staff. This is where uh, Wilford Brimley, quote unquote, tortures the guy by almost putting a sewing needle it's into his like arm before they he confesses him, and then talk it up like they're gonna do all this stuff to him if he doesn't talk, and they just barely touch him with another needle. So it's more about intimidating and making him worried about what they might do, I guess. But yeah. which I took umbrage with um, because this character is named Carl. And Carl's <laughs> in film aren't great ever. What about, isn't the character from Up, isn't someone named Carl? Yes. And he's a grumpy old man. Hey. He's the hero of the movie. He's, he's he, the has, he has a redemption, I grant you. He's sad because his wife's dead. Sure. But like, this Carl is a piece of shit throughout. He's also a coward. And I take umbrage with but that. But it turns out he's not as bad as they thought he was. Sure, he didn't murder people. He was just gonna well, push off a scandal he, to he a predecessor. He was just doing what he was told by his superiors. But he, it didn't wasn't really ex- his... he didn't explode any helicopters. So, let's talk about this. From this torture scene, they get a recording of the chief of staff confessing as to what Olympia is and who was involved in it. They take this recording directly to the president. Uh, and we skip over another assassination, well, several assassination attempts. And to some get horses. There. Yes, and terrible CGI on horses. But they take the recording t- to the president, and the president, being faced with this recording, decides to just resign. Not to have the Republican National Convention turn against these two former presidents and say that this recording is a lie, this recording was faked, or even to have Dan Aykroyd try to destroy this single recording that is the only evidence against him. He just decides, well, you got me. I'm out of office now. Well, it's Like, he doesn't oppose it anyway. He'll be fine. He'll just sell some Skull Vodka and he'll be fine. Well, sure. He'll make... Oh, God. He's in a commercial for a new Ghostbusters game. (laughs) Uh, I don't... Well, so... This is another part of the plan that didn't make sense to me. I would expect a normal politician to fight it a bit. And try to cover it up again even more. Yeah, yeah, I get this is the third act of the film and they need it to end, but it did seem like, oh... This is also bad screenwriting in that characters aren't doing what you set them up to do in the first place. You're just making them act differently so you can have a nice ending. I don't mind nice endings. They're fine, but I want them to make sense. And Sarah, you've disappeared. It's fine. I've moved my mic down. Ah, so I forget what happens here. After Aykroyd steps down. They are eating some food in the kitchen with their former cook that they were that they loved. Rita! Because because the pizzas were so good. Oh, right. (laughs) I forgot how they sneak into the White House through a former cook who, even though they're battening down the hatches to protect the president, they don't search every vehicle that's coming in. That's because Rita's not suspicious. She makes great food. Do you remember what they described the pizza tasting like? I do, but I'm not going to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, Mark, go ahead. Tell our audience. I think Carl like. wants to say. It. Oh, I forget the exact phrasing. If you remember, oh go sure, ahead. sure. I do, when we're I don't even remember what at what point they were talking about it's it. Somehow they brought the up lake. Rita and the, all the food that she made. And did you ever have this meal when you were at the White House? And what about this one? And oh, did you ever have her pizzas? It's like a wet dream in your mouth. <laughs> no, it was with a crust. With a crust. Oh. See, Sarah should have explained it because she actually knows. I, I didn't It was feel... like a with a crust in your mouth. 
I didn't feel uh, like I should explain it since I don't have the um the experience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um the other thing I wanted to bring up before they get to Ackroyd, and we're going in a weird We're kinda going all over the place. In this film that our audience may not be able to follow. Uh so anyway. They need to sneak into the White House to get to Ackroyd. We already talked about Ackroyd stepping down. This is before that. They need to sneak in. They get in because the, the chef lets them in. Then they hijack a tour group to avoid getting shot by the Secret Service because the Secret Service won't fire on civilians, I guess? In which they get into a guest bedroom and they get cornered there. And then they escape through a secret tunnel that the Secret Service is apparently unaware of. Which, if you're charged to protect the president, why wouldn't you know every single passageway in the White House? Why is this a revelation to everyone except for the president who used the secret passages to bang women? This film made me angry for several reasons. <laughs> this is one of them. Well, except they did find it. Because he, he got into the tunnel. Sure. But, like... I mean, that's one guy as opposed to the many, I would say 15 guys that were chasing them and cornered them into the bedroom. Well, at first, they were just going to leave him hidden in there anyway because they were making up a story to the press about how they had died in a helicopter crash. And I don't know how they were going to cover that up. Just kill them again after the, after the story was released or something? Yeah. So anyway, the secret tunnel leads to the north lawn. They need to be on the south lawn. So they decide to hijack police horses and i'm only pointing this scene out because one is where we have the deus ex gay sniper and also where we have the worst cgi in the entire film because this is clearly not these two old men riding these horses it is two body doubles and then really bad cgi putting these people's faces onto the men actually riding these horses. Apparently this is the only thing that Jack Lemon didn't do himself was the horse ride. You know, I didn't even look at their faces, so I guess I didn't even notice that, but Oh boy, you should see them. It's bad. Is it as bad as the Eddie Murphy stunt double from from No Beverly Hills Cop? It's, <laughs> it's not that bad. But also like their faces it may work in, like, if you pause it, it doesn't look that bad. As in they're not, faces, like, 50 pounds different? Yeah, but, like, seeing their faces in motion during the scene, it's just like, oh, that face doesn't match at all with what this body is doing. It's like their heads are floating in space <laughs> alongside these people I, riding I feel horses. like, though... There was not a lot of special effects in this movie necessarily, so so maybe they just didn't put a lot of effort into the budget for that. All right, let's let's zoom ahead past the Ackroyd resigning to get to the final part of this film, where they somehow determined that the vice president was responsible he, he, he for was everything. He was sworn in as the president. And which we haven't discussed at all in the entire movie. He's been made out to be this idiot that doesn't know anything. And I saw him as like a George W. Bush clone where like he isn't good at talking and like has really bad opinions on. Oh, anybody who isn't. And white. we didn't also mention that he's also the, the actor is the father from Home Alone. <laughs> um, I don't remember what his act, but no, anyway. that is his John he legally changed it. No, it's the dad from Home Alone now. Uh, Something McAllister. 
John Hurd, and also he's dead. Anyway, they've throughout the movie, anytime you see him in a scene, he's always really dumb and bad at speaking and calls the Dutch people from the nether regions or something. <laughs> so, he gets very excited about a hat. Yeah, he got really excited about getting a hat. The worst one, which is also played off for laughs, is he is the in golf some one. sort of golf tournament. He drives a ball and then you oh, hear yeah, sirens. Yeah, I could... And he has, he has hit somebody in the head who happens to be African-American. And we see his apology, which is a really long-winded thing where he's like, I know your people, the black people, aren't really into this sport. I think it's because you can't get into the nice clubs to play with us white folk who are, who love golf. I understand it's not your thing. Maybe basketball is your thing. It's just like, it's the worst racist note on what sports Which, I mean, this guy would have it's liked. It's on purpose. All he, needs, all he needs to say is sorry. All he needs to say is sorry. Which I think is, again, another one of those things that's on purpose to show how dumb he is or whatever. But, so at the end, he's getting sworn in as president. These two are sitting around enjoying a meal after their victory that they thought that they won. And while they're watching the ceremony, they're like, oh, there's only one way that guy was ever going to become president. Either Haney would have to get killed or... And then they look at each other and like, aha! And so then they go find him in uh, whatever room he's in, green room before the press conference. Which they have immediate access to? Apparently. I mean, they're presidents. Former presidents. So they go confront him about that, and he admits to it um, and says, Everybody thinks I'm this idiot. They don't know it was all just a big facade. Uh-huh. And Douglas gets it on a recording, and they, as they're walking out, they're like, Okay, but what happens if we release this recording? I guess it means the head, what is it? The, um, who becomes president? Speaker of the House. That's who it is. Yeah. Uh, and they both determined they don't want that guy to be president, and so they're not going to release the recording. And then they both have this touching moment where they reveal that they don't like each other, but they've come to kind of like each other. I think they do release the recording to the press. They were they just knew it was going to get covered up, and even if he does get in trouble, this other guy is going to be president, blah, blah. And then as they're driving away, the his... Secret Service or whoever it is that's protecting him is saying, well, at least you did everything you could. And he says, well, maybe we didn't. And then it cuts to a scene of them running for the next election together. Yes, which also makes zero sense to me. Because Douglas agreed to unveil the scandal on the promise that the Democratic National Convention would back him for another run. He still has that deal. Wilford Brimley still owes him a favor. And yet they're both running on an independent ticket. Also, the press conference about them running, it, 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 they haven't released who's going to be president or who's going to be vice president until this very important meeting with a bunch of cameras. I I think it's supposed to be the fact that they've put enough of their dis their problems aside to realize maybe we need a little bit of each of us, and that's why they're running on the independent ticket. And yeah, the not deciding who's going to be president, who's going to be vice president, is played for a stupid joke. In real life, you would have figured that out. There has been talk about a dual-party independent ticket before. Has it happened? No. But it's not an unheard of idea. The quote-unquote real world, 
they would be working against the very con the only context that they have in their respective parties because the RNC and DNC are going to back candidates against them. Well, yeah, you you have to run as an independent um, party if you're doing a dual party ticket, as in the people who are on the party ticket normally um, have been running as the normal party. This is something that has been talked about before in tickets. It just hasn't really super happened. But it it's not something that's made up for this movie. My other problem is these two have both been president before. And while in history, a president who was voted out of office did run again and win. Um, yes. Was it? I forget the, the guy or what number president he was, but it has happened. I don't see in the modern age someone who's held this position and been voted out running again because they've already reached the peak that they can get. And if they don't win, they're just like embarrassing their legacy. It was Grover Cleveland. He was 22 and 24. Ah. I don't see a former president running again. Whereas like the people who run again are the ones who lost the election the first time. Like that makes more sense to me. They did both lose an election. <laughs> right. They both have the right to become president. It just doesn't make sense to me that, like, you're already retired. You've already done what you could in office. Do you really want to put yourself out there and take the risk that you well, won't get it, in? I and... think the point about this one is that now they they had this experience. Suddenly, they feel like they're more in touch with the people again. And now they know that they, they have all these things that they can do to make I a also difference. think they didn't have a huge scandal when they lost. They're working together, and the president before just did have a huge scandal, this huge thing, that maybe the people would be like, hey, maybe we just need a little bit of stuff before. Maybe we don't want to try new things anymore. Oh, I think the two scandals on the former Republican presidents would just force the ticket to be more Democratic. Meh, it depends. Anywho, I don't see them winning, but I understand why they had to make this the end of the film because it's the biggest ending these two characters could have. But technically, if it's a dual party ticket, they still end with the Democrat as the president, the Republican as the vice president. Well, that's not what they agreed upon. That is what Douglas does at the very end of the film. Yeah. But they had agreed to let Kramer be president, who was the former Republican. But Douglas throws a dollar on the ground and Kramer <laughs> goes to get it. And then Douglas starts the speech, end of movie. But there's also been talking about how people vote is weird because obviously Grover Cleveland did have non-consecutive terms. We've also had presidents come back who lost an election and then came back and won an election with um, throughout multiple points in history. So why people vote for anything? Who knows? I don't know. Guys, it turns out America's dumb. I voted for a turtle. I did not vote for a turtle. <laughs> I wouldn't Why put would it you, past you, though. Why would you? You did vote for a dog. You've been campaigning for a dog for years. But the thing about voting for a turtle is the fact that people can vote for dogs for mayors. And I'm like, but but dogs can't fit the age requirement of 35 years. But turtles can. So. On that note, let's go on to games. Our first game is the pitch game, a game in which we combine two or more properties in the form it's this meets this to describe this film. So I'm going to start us off here telling our audience what 
My Fellow Americans is in terms of other things. Here we go, my first one. <clears throat> Since this is a film where men pass their prime and uncontent with their current lives, go on a ride across the country and evade people trying to kill them. Also marketed as a comedy, but fairly disappointing. Meets. A journey across America to discover hidden secrets of presidents with a massive misconception on how easy it is to break into federal institutions. I think that second one I also did. Okay. So why don't you let Mark guess in case it isn't? Um... I wasn't listening to the second one because I was thinking about the first one. So... <laughs> so, old men ride across the country. I don't know. I, I didn't hear the old part because for some reason I just went trains, planes, trains, and automobiles. I said men past their prime, which is accurate. Oh, wild hogs. Wild hogs is correct. That sounds more like it. I had um something else. Dumb and Dumber was in my mind, but... <laughs> But they're not past their prime, necessarily, so... What do they do in Dumb and Dumber 2? Dumb and Dumber... -er -er. Fun. Alright, do you know the second one? National Treasure. Correct, it's Wild Hogs meets National Treasure. Alright, Mark, what's your first one? Oh yeah, I have to play games, don't I? <laughs> you, you do. That's the whole <laughs> point of this. I find it... I like more guessing at them than reading my own. Alright, because it's a... It's a comedic movie focusing on serious political matters where a plot by a White House staffer to stage a coup and take over the presidency is thwarted when another conspiracy is revealed to the public meets a, a movie where Jack Lemmon stars uh, uh, in a movie about two old men who have formed a rivalry over many years but throughout the film learn that they have much in common and should have been friends all along. Alright, so the second one is Grumpy Old Men. Is the first one Dave? Hooray! <laughs> oh, cool. I thought about Dave, and then I didn't. Um, so both of my ones have been used, so... <laughs> it's, let me guess, is it Crumpy Old Man Meets National Treasure? One of those is correct. <laughs> okay, go so ahead. So it must be Dave Meets National Treasure. <laughs> it is Dave Meets National <laughs> Treasure! Fantastic. We don't even need the hints. We're so good at this game, guys. Good job. I would like to hear the hints anyway. What you know, Sarah's gonna make him up on the fly. It was a um a movie where um people have to go cross country with various clues to um find information that they need. Meets a presidential comedy with weird twists. That was my one for Dave. I couldn't get yeah. Dave's plot down to what's like, the what's the one with Robin Williams as president? That one I first. I... First something, isn't it? Good morning, Vietnam. Oh, that was it. Bicentennial man. Goodwill Man hunting. of the year. <laughs> man of the year. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that one, so. I kept trying to combine it in my brain and thinking, what's it? Could it be by presidential man? <laughs> anyway, it doesn't work. Don't make that movie. I won't. Um, going on to my second one here. <clears throat> Two men who have nothing in common bonding on a journey using various transports featuring a car that becomes impossible to drive, an exploding vehicle, and one of the men bartering his watch to get what they need. Meets. A movie featuring a president in danger, secret passages of the White House, a president falsely reported dead, a speaker of the House acting as president, and a helicopter explosion. Tommy Boy? 
Sarah, you have said both of these films earlier in this recording. Trains, planes, and automobiles. That is the first one. <laughs> to be fair, that first one still could be kind of Tommy Boy, except for the watch part. It could be. Um, hmm. Manchurian Candidate. I didn't say Manchurian you Candidate. You didn't I'm trying say to think of things earlier. that Sarah said now. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, we were discussing uh, the capital of Washington. Olympus has fallen. Planes, trains, and automobiles meets... Olympus has fallen. I had to look at the title to remember what it was. <laughs> what was that other one that came out at the same time as Olympus was fallen? That was basically the same movie. Um, um, but with Jamie down, down president. No, that's down Periscope. Wasn't. But with Jamie Foxx or something. Yeah, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. White House down. Oh yeah, you're right. All right. Because this is a movie where a belief in a political scandal turns out to be true and government agents track down an attempt to kill the duo trying to make it public. And a movie with two cantankerous men who constantly poke fun at each other and everyone else. Now, did you go with grumpy old men too? No. That's grumpier old men. Sorry, grumpier old men too? Uh, the Pelican Brief. <laughs> uh, is it the one where Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau are on a boat for reasons? No. Okay. Uh, the Muppets movie, but only the part with Waldorf and Staller. Correct. <laughs> Great. Uh, the Manchurian Candidate. No. Um, Wag the Dog. Oh, that's a good call. Um, that's a good pull. it is starring someone that we talked about earlier. That is nothing. Uh, it stars the racist Jesus guy. <laughs> oh, Mel Gibson. Uh, sorry, I forgot. You're the one the, that came I, up with that. I forgot the clue I gave for him. Sorry, Mel Gibson. Is it like, oh, um, what's the one what's with what, uh? What's the What's the one where he's in the vent? What? In the hospital where he's in the vent. Die Hard. No. <laughs> oh, you're thinking of Phenomenon. No. Both. That is also wrong for several reasons. It involves. Wait, what's the one with? Amnesty or the international, what's the international thing where if you're a political from another country and you commit a crime, you can't be charged? Double Jeopardy? No, no, that's no, no. Charged for the same crime. Um, I know what you're saying though, but I don't know if it's the same. Diplomatic immunity yeah. is what I'm thinking of. So it's not a lethal weapon, too? No. Okay. Is it a lethal weapon? No. Is it a Mad Max? I think the no. one I'm trying to think of is Conspiracy Theory. Yes. <laughs> I think that's the one where he's in the vent at, like, holding on to the vent, and she's like, what are you doing? Wait, is that the same one where he's into, um, what's the book with Holden Caulfield? Uh, Catcher in the Rye. But, like, she thinks it he's could be. I don't crazy, it and well. he's, like, falling through the vent, and she's like, what are you doing? And it turns out he's not, he's crazy, but he's not crazy oh, about okay yeah like okay there's a movie called con yeah there's he, a movie he, called conspiracy like, theory yes he's like falling into the vent wait is that and, correct like, holding on to yes. the edge yes <laughs> oh okay so for the listeners that was conspiracy theory meets the muppets and it's like julia roberts or something. i yeah i thought sarah said is it the one with the conspiracy theory and you confirmed yes this movie has a conspiracy theory not that the movie is called conspiracy <laughs> theory yeah. I'm, I'm sure if i just said the one where he's in the vents to my mother she'd be like yeah that one all right i think i'm the only one with any left is that correct all right my final one here 
Jack Lemmon in a film playing with another man where they are constantly at odds with each other, coming to learn something from one another in the end. Meets a comedy film in which two characters uncover a presidential scandal and release incriminating tape recordings to the press, forcing the leader of the free world to resign. Did you say playing with another man? Uh, I said I did. <laughs> I did say that. That that is what I wrote. I probably meant I probably intended that to read like Jack Lemon playing a certain role in a film with another man and then I edited it, but the playing remained. I'm gonna say that's the odd couple. It is. Um It's the only film where Jack Lemon plays with a man. <laughs> I don't know the second one. Dick? It is Dick. <laughs> Just cause I really wanted to say the odd couple meets Dick. Horatio? But yes, Dick is a weird film that I only re I only remember because they these two girls wore uh, they cut up an American flag and then they made it into bikinis. That is a major plot point that I is somehow stuck in my brain about that film. Isn't it like Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst who's there in that yes, movie? Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. All right. Good work, everyone. <laughs> Mostly Sarah. I know a lot of things about political comedies for not really watching political comedies ever. All right, let's go on to our second game, which is alternate tagline. A word or phrase you would see in the movie poster for the film that encapsulates the theme of the movie, though possibly misses the point. Uh, so, uh, my first one here is... Terrible? <laughs> oh, yeah, they're... <laughs> All terrible. That should be a given by now. If anybody's listened to our show before, you know these are terrible. Uh, it's based on the, the words that these people made up to a song that is constantly playing for them. So it is, My fellow American, hail to the Chiefs on the run improving scandal. But where's the rest of the song? Oh, that's it. Mark you know, I was going to ask you guys to give me your Hail to the Chief songs, and I forgot. I had forgotten that go. apparently now in, Carl did it, so. Apparently in Dave, they also make up words to Hail to the Chief. Is it Hail to the Chief? His name is Dave, and he's a moron. <laughs> no, it has something to do with showering and being clean. Interesting. Anyway, Mark, go ahead. It's been like probably 20 years since I've seen that. I also own that one if we ever want to do it, so I don't have to find it. Well, next November. <laughs> or in four years. You think we'll still be alive in yeah, four well. years? <laughs> Wait, alive? Yes, certainly. Do you mean My us life or the podcast? goes beyond four years. Uh, I don't trust myself to be alive. Well, that's fair. Mark, please. <laughs> please, please save us from this. Ahem. <laughs> <laughs> My fellow Americans, they used to run the country. Now they're running for their lives. That's not bad. I I could honestly see Hollywood putting that in the movie poster. It's yep. actually pretty much in the vein as the real one, which is My Fellow Americans, a comedy about life, liberty, and the pursuit of two ex-presidents. <laughs> not bad. So Mark's pretty <laughs> on brand. Yeah, I... I, I... Taglines for me, I end up always getting something where it just sounds like it's actually the right one instead of a funny one. So really, Mark missed his calling in life. That's true. Mark, you should have been doing this for a living for a long time. Well, if Hollywood wants to give me a call. Yeah, they're listening right now. <laughs> Hollywood, I have you on the line. You're saying, oh, films aren't being made because it's 2020. <laughs> Sorry. All right, my next one. Uh, it's just based on, I looked up like political slogans and tried to work one into it. So it's, uh, my fellow Americans, 
a federal coup, and murder, too. Did you really? You went that far back? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the ones I could remember. Like, Obama had a bunch, but none of them worked. That's because they're all Obamas were all short. I was waiting for make this movie great again or something. Oh, no, I will never <laughs> reference that man or his campaign ever. Again, remember, they don't exist. Everything was taken over. We are run by a dog now. Is it is it this dog? It's that dog. Oh. I'm going to have to put a picture of that dog on the podcast Facebook now so people understand what we're talking about. I'm fine with that. He's very adorable. He That'll is... get us more fans. I hope so. Probably. Anyway, Mark, I believe you have one more. Um, my fellow Americans, two former presidents uncover a coup attempt with a little help from the land of Oz. Ah. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, Took me a bit, but I got uh, there. All right. So my final one, I decided to wax poetic because I really liked the um, uh, the commentary on like old men retired trying to remain relevant and it reminded me of a poem and so i paraphrased the poem so here we go my fellow americans voted out of office fading into night fighting flighting hawking kitsch against the dying of the light now i'm depressed yeah thanks carl you're welcome <laughs> all right on that note, let's go on to our final game, which is a TV guide game, a description of the plot of the film you would see in a Netflix or TV guide description, which is accurate, but possibly misses the point. I am going to start us off again. The plot of My Fellow Americans is two retired rivals go on a pointless journey across middle America and find the biggest thing they have in common is that no one likes them. Uh, yep. Really go, really go for the heartstrings today, Carl. <laughs> Am I? I didn't think that was that much of a revelation that these guys are unpopular with middle America. Makes me sad. I'm sorry. I don't know. They're both dead now. The only thing I say, I, I don't know where the helicopter origi originally went, you know, where they're roaming the country. I assume North Carolina, since that was the team on the train. And then they head from there to Ohio. So... Yeah, it's really vague. So I don't, I guess, I guess middle America, but. Certainly middle America. I placed the, the family who was living out of their car as middle American. Also, they weirdly got people from Mexico. Yeah, that's what I was, that, I don't know. I mean, that'd be a long truck ride <laughs> to get anywhere. What border, yeah, what border are they coming from? Canada? Are there Mexicans in Canada? <laughs> Mark, please go ahead. So. Uh, that whole discussion, because mine talks about the region they were in also. Two ex-presidents rampage across the eastern United States, blow up a helicopter, stop a raid by the Department of Immigration, kidnap a couple's baby and steal their car, knock out security guards, kidnap White House officials, impersonate tour guides, attack government agents, steal from the police, and have two presidents removed from power just to prove their innocence. Uh-huh. Accurate. They're kind of the villains of the film. Mm-hmm. Arguably worse than the guy who's murdering people. <laughs> All right, my last one here. Um, I'm similar in vain to the one you just read. Oh, good. <laughs> Former leaders who are out of touch with the general public take it upon themselves to change the current leader twice and then attempt to change it again. I was worried that mine was going to be too long, and it still was longer than yours, but I just had to I just had to point out all the terrible things that they did in order to be the heroes of the movie. I know, they're just, they're real jerks, even out of office. Oh. Boom, 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 boom. All right, Mark, your final one. My Let's last go one. 
While on a trip to the restroom, a random citizen meets two ex-presidents as a rivalry between them comes to the head. Oh. <laughs> there it is. There's the terrible pun we were uh. all waiting for. I'm glad we could end on that <laughs> yep. horrible note, uh, which brings us into reviews. And to start us off, it is, of course, going to be our infamous potato scale, telling our audience what they can expect to feel while watching this film in terms of our relationship with potatoes. So, either one of you can start us off as I, again, look at the list and decide what my potatoes are. But please, one of you tell our listeners what My Fellow Americans is in terms of potatoes. It's a movie. Oh, is that a potato? Everything's a potato. Is popcorn a potato? Yes. <laughs> Cool. Um, I had, I had it, and then I lost it. Give me. A s so I guess I was the one who suggested this movie. I owned this on DVD, also. Um, and I do remember enjoying this in the past when someone else actually introduced me to it, and we used to watch it together, just kind of as our thing that we could always make the like we would quote lines from the movie to each other and laugh about it because we thought they were funny. But watching it again now and also listening to everyone else's commentary about how terrible it is, uh, <laughs> I actually tend to agree with you that, I mean, I there are still parts of it that I find funny and I enjoyed watching it, but it's not really a good movie. So... I, I, we have one, uh, potato skins, which is not enough there. It has moments, but ultimately disappointing because there are parts of it that I still enjoyed, but I don't think the movie itself was very good. Uh, but we also have Mr. Potato Head, which was Don't Think Too Much, which we kind of used for some of those dumb movies before where it was like, hey, if you really think about it, it's not very good, but if you just enjoy it for what it is, you might still end up liking it at the end. So um, I had both of those. I also wanted to put Potatoes with Eyes because I used to enjoy it, and now it's not quite as good as I remember. Potatoes with Eyes is that it's spoiled with age. Um, I put Boxed Potatoes, which is not as good as it should be. I think this definitely had some ideas and some potential, but I do think it's some things aren't really leaned on heavily enough. Some things aren't um, explained well enough. Some of the jokes just don't go anywhere. Um, and I think it heavily relies on the fact that it has a lot of very good award-winning actors in it. And it's just, we'll just let them do the heavy lifting. And I think that is its saving grace is you can just stick um, Jack Lemon and James Garner in a room and just make them talk. And yeah, it's going to be enjoyable because they're both very charismatic, good actors. But you can still tell there's weaknesses in the script. So Box Potato is not as good as it should be, but it's good enough. It's fine. It's a fun enough movie that I'm not like, I hate my life for watching this. Like, I don't want to like erase it from my memory like some of the movies we watched. But it definitely isn't like anything better than that. And there definitely are, we've talked about things that could have been fixed to make it beyond good enough. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to agree with both of you on my review here. Because um, the, the first one I put down is just a comment I had early on. The oven baked potatoes, it does take a while to get started. Uh, just to, for them to get on the journey that is supposed to be the interesting part of the film. Um, also, vodka for sure. Children should not watch this film um, in that they won't understand the political side of a presidency or presidency for that matter. 
and then there's just a lot of adult humor in this that isn't for children. Um, and finally, I have Raw Potato because I was super bored watching this. Along the lines of what Sarah was saying, these are great actors, but the script is very lackluster. And so they did the best with what they had, but ultimately not great. All right, so let's go on to our other review scale, which is a more traditional 0 to 10 scale, telling our listeners should they go back and watch this film. Uh, I gave it a 6 and a 4th, just kind of. Now, why the 4th? <laughs> because is it for the 4th of July? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Our nation's holiday. <laughs> I felt like six and a half was too good, but six was too low. That fourth was like the performances, the actors pushed it to the fourth. They're, Cause they're really, I mean, we've got some heavy hitter Academy Award nominee, Academy Award winners in there. Like the top of their game people doing good work with bland stuff. And so they push it to the fourth, but even they can't push it higher than that. But it's, it's fine. I'd like, if you want, if you really like political comedies, it'll be good enough for you to throw on and watch some popcorn. If that's not your thing, like that's not my genre that I like at all. And I'll watch ones that are above and beyond that people I say like are like the good ones of the genre, but I'm not the type of person who's just going to watch any one that comes out. And this is one that if, if you watch any political comedy that comes out, sure, throw it in. It's not going to ruin your day. But if that's not really what you find interest in, then maybe give it a pass. If, if you watch it because you want to just watch James Garner and Jack Lemmon argue with each other, sure. Throw it on. Again, not going to ruin your day. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in a similar vein with my review. Um, I felt very little while watching this. At the end of it, I thought, well, that certainly was a movie. Uh, and they were they were really having fun up there. Which, I for me, this is a five. It's a perfect middle-of-the-road movie where if... If this is your thing, yeah, it's it's fine. There's nothing bad about it. I, I won't dock points. Like, lower than a five is where I think there's something inherently wrong about the script or, like, it's an awful film that no one should enjoy or ever watch again. Higher than a five is something I would start to recommend to people. And five is just like, I feel nothing about this. It was just so bland and kind of boring. There are interesting things that it brings up, but those things are not explored. And ultimately, it's just meh. This feels like a perfectly fine movie to have thrown out in theaters during one of the very slow months of the year. It came out in December of 96, which actually would have been right oh. after an election. It feels more like a January movie. Because <laughs> nothing like, comes not out Not the January. summer blockbuster, but just to have a movie to fill some yeah, time. We just, we need something making us some money when it's not like the busy holiday season or the summer season. Just something to fill the space and it's good enough and it has some names that people are going to see. Yeah, it's fine. I'm scared to give movies fives now. <laughs> I I actually had written down my, my things, which I don't do every time, but sometimes when I actually think about it ahead of time, I will write them down. And I, as I explain in every episode, I tend to, now that we have such a backlog, I tend to go through and compare it to 
the scores I've given other movies and see if I like this one better or worse than those. I originally had it at a 6.5 and brought it down a bit because there were some at the 6 level that I don't like as much as this, but some at the 6.5 that I would like more. So I put it at 6.3, which is actually very close to what Sarah said. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of the same thing. I... I don't know if I would go out of my way to watch it, but I mean, I do own it because at one point I really liked it. And if you don't watch it all the time, some of the jokes will still be funny when they come up again and you remember it and you laugh at it next time. Uh, if it's your thing, if it's not really your thing, you may just think nothing of it and give it a five on your scores. <laughs> I don't know. I think I enjoyed some of the jokes in it. There are parts that we talked about that are that make it a less than good movie, but it's enough that I might recommend it to people. I have recommended it to people. I recommended it for the podcast. So it's one that I probably will still watch again at some point. It's just not one that I watch all the time or, you know, it's not one that's just always on my mind as a, being a really uh, ideal movie. Yeah, speaking of looking back on our scores, I was looking at what I've uh, rated a 5 before. The quickest one I could find was I rated Junior a 5, which is kind of similar to this film in that very famous actors, not great script, ultimately pretty boring. I'm still confused about that one. I gave Junior a 4, so there. <laughs> Sarah, you gave Junior a 5.5. <laughs> you rated it higher than I did. I know, but it did make me feel a lot of emotion. Negative emotions are still emotions. <laughs> Do you remember how much of a meltdown I had during that podcast? Oh, was that the one? That was a very fun episode that's, where you talked about parts. That's where I started parts. crying because I could not figure out how anything worked in that movie. All right. <laughs> well, that is going to close up this podcast and our review scale. Sarah, can you tell people where they can find us online should they choose to do so? You can find us at line. Uh, a line. You can find us <laughs> online. You can find us a line. <laughs> you can send us carrier pigeons. They'll find oh. us. Um, at retrograding.fireside.fm. And also at Facebook at Retrograding Podcast. Um, you can send us messages and tell us if you want to see pictures of our dogs and Mark's cat. Um, our music is done by Dominic Barnes. Who continues to be great? Uh, that's going to take us to our final segment, which is, guys, I learned something today. And huh, I have a lesson prepared, though it's going to super bum Sarah out Again? for sure. Based on, well, yeah, because like the, the major lesson I took from this is don't grow old and don't retire, which... I mean, given the current state of the United States is how I'm going to have to live my <laughs> life, given what Social yeah. Security is now. I thought it was, don't become president because someone will try to shoot you. All right. Both of those lessons are great. I didn't say the things of, guys, I learned something today. So that's a fault of mine. Maybe I'll fix it in post. Maybe I won't. But our audience can think about both of those lessons in the coming month. And we will catch you guys next time.
I will say the, uh, I think I measured it once. And Sarah is much better than you are, Mark, of sinking to my claps. Or it at sounds least having, fine like, to me on my end, so I don't oh, know. Oh, it's, it's fine. It's just like I measured once, like, the difference between your claps, and Sarah is far more consistent. I'm good at clapping. I've always said that about you. You've got the clap. <laughs> oh, that better go in the bloopers for this show. Well, maybe. We'll see how far I get when I edit this tomorrow. Hi! Look, I got a dog! Mom, come back. Has I got she, a dog. dog! Oh! Adorable. Forge that paper. Shouldn't the... Like, who... Did they send just a government agent? Sarah, what's going on with your microphone? Nothing. <laughs> I just want to go to sleep and eat some pizza. Maybe in the opposite order. <laughs> yeah, how would you eat pizza in your sleep? Come on. I considered sending you a murder box. Ooh, I don't think I got a murder box. Just gonna bring us in here. <clears throat> With that Our box? first game. Our first game is the pitch game. Olympus is nice. Plane strains and automobiles. Plane strains and automobiles meets Olympus has fallen. I had to look at the title to remember what it was. You live in a big city. Get hotter friends. How? I've been trying to get a hot girlfriend the entire time I've been here. I don't care about a hot girlfriend. I want you to have No, Sarah, <laughs> I care about a hot girlfriend. And that's in the realm of hot friends. I don't know how to get them. I don't know.